Welcome to another episode of Meta Athletes, the Playbook, where we bring our coaches' insights directly to our community. And uh, Coach B, we've uh, we've had some great people on recently, and um, every now and then, you know, we get a really good question from the community or, or a series of questions based off of, uh, you know, some type of. It might be something that they're going through. It might be something that they're training for. Um, and we got a really good set of questions, so I thought we'd just turn it into a podcast episode and make it applicable and, and shareable to the rest of our community. But um, we have somebody that's training for an endurance type of event. And, um, you know, as I saw the questions come in and as I was talking to you a little bit, you know, kind of going back and forth, I realized that, you know, a lot of these questions are geared for this long endurance type of, you know, event, but I think it's also applicable to the everyday person, whether it's, um, you know, they're, they're training, maybe they're training for a big hike, you know, or Mm -hmm. maybe they have an adult league game that they want to get to and and they want to make sure that they're um, properly, you know, getting themselves prepared from a nutrition and hydration standpoint, mm. I think that a lot of these questions kind of tie into the everyday person, not just the endurance athlete, but um, it was one that was interesting. I was like, you know what, we should turn this into a podcast episode. And um, I, I think in this specific scenario, somebody is training for a um, some type of long trek via bike. And, uh, you know, I don't know what that looks like, 20, 30, 40, 50 miles. Uh, I know that they've been training quite a bit, but um, yeah, I thought we just kind of publicly throw these questions over to you and uh, and get a little bit more clarity and help them build a foundation for how they should be preparing for things like this um so we'll uh we'll kick it off and and the first question you know revolves around leading up to the event and this is something that i think a lot of people have you know probably joked about and and a lot of people have like uh have heard probably but they hear about how you should be loading up on carbs or carb loading as yeah. you're in the office right when they're, they're oh, hi. i was thinking about the same thing Fettuccine Alfredo. Yeah. So is there truth to that? I mean, in some of our previous episodes and content, we've talked about how um, carbs can be fuel. um, But maybe you can give us a little bit more insight into, um, you know, should somebody be be training, you know, like even even prior to the event, should they be doing something like this? Um, When they actually get to the event, you know, should it be a day out, 12 hours out? Uh, Maybe you can give us a little bit more insight into if we should be carb loading yeah. and what that would look like from a healthy standpoint. Drew, I, uh, I think this is going to be insightful for not only for the individual who's asking these questions, but hopefully for everybody else that's listening too, because right. the uh, there's a lot of things that we can kind of gather here. Um, but I think I want to start off with the answer to the majority of questions is always going to, it depends, right? And I, I typically start off with, with, that, um, with that answer and that response every single time because it's really hard and really difficult to be able to make um, specific recommendations based on um, somebody's specific request without truly understanding what what they've actually been doing in training. And I think when it comes up to an event, like we think about the game, we think about the event, we think about the the competition, when that truly just magnifies the preparation that we put into training. So. Right. A lot of the, your nutritional recommendations or things that I'm going to suggest really depend. And so I think the first thing it does, it depends It depends if you're fat adapted or not. And have you ever heard of the term fat adapted? No, no, I'm not, I'm not clear on it. Okay, so fat adapted individuals can go longer without feedings. Basically, they're used to um, either relying on ketones if they're, if they're on a ketogenic diet or they know how to tap into stored body fat to be able to fuel activities. So when we look at fuel for activities, primarily it's going to come from either carbohydrates and it's going to come from fat. That's their body's preferred source of energy to fuel not only just our brain and metabolic functions, but our, our activity as well. 
And when, if you typically eat, if an individual typically eats a lower carb diet uh, for a prolonged period of time, their body becomes more fat adapted, meaning that it's going to understand how to utilize fat and break down fat more efficiently mm -hmm. to be able to produce energy to fuel the activities that they're going to need. Whereas on the other side of the equation, if somebody's not very fat adapted, they rely much more on glucose or carbohydrates to be able to fuel their activity. So this is the typical person. If they eat a lot of carbohydrates within their diet, whether it be complex or simple carbs, their body's preferred source of energy is always going to dip into glucose or dip into carbohydrates. And so those are the type of individuals where they're going to need a little bit more carbs leading into a competition or race. Rather, whereas somebody who's who's fat adapted can rely on low glycemic carbs um, and more fat to be able to fuel their activity. So does that make sense so far? Yeah. So it, it really like your habits prior. Yes. And so I think one thing that's interesting to me is you mentioned, and this is it kind of stuck out to me. You mentioned if you if you if you know how to, and in my head I'm like, well, how would somebody you know could you literally train your body and what you're telling me is through your habits and, and through your your experience your history you kind of do understand yes. how well your body can do so or not it's not like uh, you flip it on or flip it off it's it's a lead up of to what what the past has been and so it is interesting to me it's a new concept for me to understand but uh yeah i'm following along and, and it makes total sense to me okay good so if you if you're a typical faster let's say somebody's an intermittent faster or somebody is on a ketogenic diet or somebody's on a diet that, that that tries to minimize the amount of like high glycemic carbs that that you intake mm -hmm. then probably carbo loading might not be the best strategy for them because they're not used to it right, right. like their body's preferred source of energy is going to be utilizing um fat like triglycerides that they're going to either intake or stored body fat um so they're going to have more efficient processes to try to break that down to create atp or which is the molecule of energy um, whereas on the other side, if somebody is used to eating a high carbohydrate diet, then that individual is going to thrive on getting more carbs into their system and topping off their energy stores. Now, whether you're fat adapted or not, like you should still have introduced carbohydrates if you're doing any kind of long duration event, because you're going to need it. They, they, they're much easier to break down and much quicker to rebuild, break down to be able to fuel activity. You, it's not saying that you should be completely, I'm not saying that you should be completely devoid of carbohydrates within your diet like you should a lot of it's going to be based on the individual some people tolerate carbohydrates better than others some people don't tolerate them so it also depends on what your what your body fat percentage is just as, as a starting point um because that's going to come into play when it comes to long duration activities too is it's the lighter you are the easier it's going to be able to move your body so a lot of things always comes down to it depends um so it depends you know what your typical training diet is and if your typical training diet is one that's pretty low in carbohydrates and you are fat adapted, then you don't want to change too many things going into event. If your typical diet is a little bit more on the higher end of carbohydrates, and then carbo loading is probably going to be a strategy that, you, that you're going to want to be able to implement to make sure that you top off your energy stores. Because that's what it is, is. It's truly understanding what is the purpose of my nutrition? What is the purpose of my nutrition to fuel my activities? But more in this case, what's the purpose of understanding how to fuel my activity for this long duration event? If you can understand what the purpose is, then the small, simple steps that go into that go into your daily habits are going to make that much more sense. It's going to have that much more clarity. So a lot of it, again, depends on what you've done in training. If, if you've done one thing in training, you don't want to completely change it because right. for the event, competition is a manifestation of your habits and manifestation of your practice. So whatever you've done going into it, 
should be the same as going to an event. It's no different than if you're coaching a hockey game. I'm working with uh, hockey and basketball athletes. Fall back to to your habits and you fall back to your training. So uh, the question that comes up for me, and you know, this isn't a question from the community member, but something that in my head has kind of been brought up, and I think you kind of tackled it a little bit, but um, how much of this is true science that you follow and how much of it is you kind of got to do what's best for you? Because I remember growing up playing sports, there's guys that could – eat 30 minutes before a game and they're totally fine. And I would have to eat like two or three hours prior to a game or otherwise I would feel sick. And, um, for, you know, at a young age, I just realized that some things work for some people and, and, you know, some doesn't work for others. Um, but I think what I'm gathering from what you're talking about is you should, maybe you should be experimenting a little bit in your training and seeing many do a 30 ride, you know, 30 mile ride today. And you ate, you know, right, right before you eat a certain type of food. And maybe you do the same thing next week and, and see how you feel. Uh, not that you want to you know, throw off your training too much, but you definitely want to make those changes and, and, and kind of dial something in in that time frame versus to totally change it before the competition like you're talking about. Yes. Uh, yeah. So, you know, one of the questions is the morning of the event, what do you recommend eating? You know, how close should I be eating to the event? Um, they're asking about protein. And so, you know, part of me is thinking that maybe they're going to do a little bit of testing experimenting to see yeah. how well they feel in the training. Would you agree with that? Yes, 100%. And that's the... That's the beauty of training. That's the beauty of practicing. That's the beauty of your your, your daily daily exercise. Is it's it's very experimental. Like it's up to you to be able to figure out what works best for you. Like obviously there are a lot of recommendations based in science that they've done on research, but not everything in training and not everything that we experience with daily life is going to be done in a very controlled like laboratory based setting. Is where we right. where we where we learn a lot of information. So. What we do, what I typically do, and other coaches, is we try to take what's based in the research and then try to apply it to real life situations. And and honestly, that a lot of it is going to be based on everybody's individual differences. And that's the beauty of us as being human beings, is we are a little bit different. And there's a large psychological component to to nutrition and to to our metabolic function too. Is how we tolerate stress or how we perceive stress is it, it, it's going to be different. Like, so for example, you know that you're going to go on, you've been running six miles, right? And so, you know, you're going to go on a, on a double that and you're going to do on a 12 mile run. Maybe you feel a little anxious. Like, oh man, like, I don't know if I'm ready for this. Right. Your perception of that stress is going to directly impact your digestive system, mm. right? Like you probably had, you've had those feelings. We've all had those feelings. You're going to a meeting and you're a little bit nervous Right, like you're going to experience some some GI discomfort, some GI distress, and that's a right. lot of it's based on stress. And so our perception of stress is a plays a large role in our physical physiological experiences of that stress. And so if you know that you have a low stress level, meaning that it's easy to set off, they have a low threshold for stress. Maybe you're not going to tolerate too many calories or too much of too much food within your stomach because it's going to increase that GI discomfort. Mm-hmm. Um, and the only way you know that is, is you got to go hard in training. Like dude, you got to, you got to push yourself in training and it's got to get uncomfortable because if the first time that you feel discomfort is in a race or a competition, you're poorly prepared. You're not ready for that. You're not ready for that moment. It, it makes so much sense to me. And I think that, um, you know, you bring up another good point that that stress you know, I think this is a great point because the stress could come from the unknown too, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I've never had this combination of granola bar, protein shake, yeah. uh, you know, and, and maybe there's an unknown of how I'm going to feel six miles in of a, out of a 12-mile trek. 
And that could lead to to stress, right? And that could lead to to maybe not performing as well as somebody would like to. And so I think it keeps going back to that point of you gotta you gotta test experiment and training and you gotta figure out what works for you and maybe double down on that. And you know, some of the questions here are kind of asking, you know, like what types of things should be utilized in the actual competition in terms yep. of, you know, maybe it's nuts, maybe it's a certain type of gel, maybe it's a granola bar. But it kind of goes back to your original point of you know, implement it into your, into your training. Yeah. See what works best for you. So uh, I think it, it kind of covers that question as well. Um, the last I, one, oh, go ahead. Be- I do have some, some thoughts. I, like I, I want to give a little bit more specifics to, and not just say that it's, it's all based on your training. Cause it is, but, um, what you eat on the day of also depends on the pace, the intensity at which you want to be able to hit for an endurance event. Usually you're going into an endurance event you know what your splits want to be for certain distances, or you know what kind of uh, what kind of time level you want to be at uh, for your mileage, and a lot of that's going to be dictated on the pace intensity that you can you, you can handle. Um, but it also goes into how efficient of a fat burner you are, um, what your preferred source of energy is. It's, um, it's I kind of go back to that first question too. It, in and I, I do want to bring up this product because I think it's unique and it's a little bit different. And um, it, it's it's got some historical reference to 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 myself and in being able to um, recommend it to athletes. But the more frequently an individual trains, like with lower glycemic carbs and and a little bit more fat in their diet, and they can minimize those simple sh- sugars, they're going to become more efficient at fat as a fuel source. And there's a product out there that we've been using since 2009. Um, it's called it's called UCAN. Um, and there's a story behind it. I'm not going to go into the full story behind it, but it basically allows your blood sugar to stay stable for a longer period of time. And when your blood glucose levels stay stable for, for, for a long period of time, you can better la- better utilize fat as a fuel source. So basically it allows you to spare any kind of stored carbohydrates within your diet. Um, and in our athletes, we've been using it since, again, t- since 2009. The, the feedback is, is when you use it, it doesn't give you a jolt of energy like a caffeine or like a monster drink or um, any, any, type of the, any type of those energy-based drinks. It allows you to feel like you can go further, hmm. you can go harder, and you can go longer, which is fantastic for endurance-based athletes. And we use it because a lot of our athletes are like intermittent-based athletes, meaning they're going to do a short sprint, they're going to rest. Right. If you look at activity of a game or intense or activity length of a practice, like our athletes are usually practicing for two to three hours, right? A game length is usually two to three hours. You may play like a hockey shift. You might play 16 to 20 minutes per game, but it's right. based over two to three hours. So you need to be able to have energy for a long right. period of time to be able to sustain that pace and the intensity at which you decide to play. So um, the, the science of UCAN is really interesting. Um, it's really unique. But again, it's something that we utilize in training so that we can utilize in in, in, in games. But um, – you know the, the the purpose of that meal in the morning of a competition is to basically top off your energy stores and make sure that you can fuel the activity that you're that you're about to perform. And we know that you can probably store anywhere from four to five hundred grams of carbohydrates in your muscles and livers, and which is going to last you one to three hours depending on the intensity at which you can train for. So again, it kind of goes back to what we were talking before. It depends on how efficient you are at burning right. fuels and which fuels your body prefer- preferentially likes to use. Um, but you can as one of those types of products that's on the market that is uh, it's been unbelievable for allowing endurance athletes and even all athletes just to be able to go harder and go longer. Like I've no they do. They make this gel product, which is really interesting. Um, 
and it's 15 grams of their proprietary carbohydrate that, that's in it. And they found out that you need 12 grams of that starch lasts you about 75 minutes, which wow. is much less than you might need if you were having shoes uh, or like um, other types of gummies and stuff like that, that 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 are marketed towards endurance athletes. So it's really interesting on, on how endurance athletes can go for a long period of time. Like I know endurance athletes too that when they're trained on UCAN and they're really fat efficient, they can go hours without anything. Mm. Outside of just water and salt and some electrolytes, but oh. it's it, it, yeah. But it goes back to training. Like, right. what are you doing in training to be able to experiment with these with with different products and different fueling strategies to in trying to figure out what what best what works best for you in your own situation? Yeah, no, you can sounds really interesting, and the fact that you guys have been using it since two thousand nine. I mean, that's a lot of tried and true and a lot of testing for you guys, and and, and good response. Um, what are some examples of those uh, low glycemic foods that you'd mentioned before? I mean, obviously a lot of this depends and it's going to react to people differently, but do you have like a general kind of recommendation on for endurance athletes specifically, which ones they might want to start with when it comes to kind of implementing into some of their training? Yeah. So lower glycemic carbs are going to be like, if you look on a scale, like higher glycemic carbs are going to be much more uh, it's going to look closer to sugar, um, white flour-based products, uh, not as much high in fiber. So think like waffles, pancakes. Uh, there's a product on the market called Honey Stinger that, that they usually make. Um, those are quick digestible carbs versus lower glycemic carbs tend to be much more complex in nature. That takes longer to break down. It's not going to have, it doesn't have as high of an insulin response. Um, so things such as rice and sweet potatoes, uh, oatmeal, uh, and when I talk about oatmeal, not like processed, uh, quick oats, like quick oats is going to be much more high glycemic than if you were doing steel cut oats or oats that you would have to boil in water. Those are a little bit more lower glycemic in nature. Um, so it gets, it break, it takes a little bit longer to break down, but it blunts the insulin response. That insulin response be that essentially, it gets away from tapping into those stored fats, right? Like that's part of it. But can you, you know, as brief as you can, kind of bring somebody to understand why that spike is not something that you would want to see? Yeah, I think we think we probably all felt this is if we feel like um, fatigue or you see stars, you feel kind of like weak. Mm. What we often want to do is is get a quick jolt of sugar. So we might have a Gatorade, we might have a Powerade, we might have a chew or a gel. And what starts to happen is that feeling is when our blood sugar drops. Uh, we take uh, the product of whatever we might be taking that's going to hit us quick. We get a spike of insulin, or sorry, our blood sugar drives up or increases because of the insulin increases, and then it's going to come back down. And then what needs to happen, it, what starts to happen is we get this up and down cyclic effect Right. Of our blood sugar moving up and down, and as a result, our any our energy levels are going to start to are going to fluctuate. Our ability to focus is going to start to fluctuate. Mm. We always feel like people talk about like an afternoon fog or afternoon right. like malaise, and sometimes that's often correlated with like your low blood sugar. So what do people do? They'll have a snack. They'll have um, maybe an energy drink, and then you're going to get a quick spike. But that spike isn't going to last for a long period of time. Our ability to focus. And be able to fuel our activity comes down to our blood sugar being able to be in a nice homeostatic ton of balance. And when we're in that state, it allows us to be able to um, utilize fat as a fuel source. 
but it spares any kind of stored carbohydrates that we have too. So I don't know if that that's the best explanation or yeah, get, no, it, an understanding of why we want to keep our blood sugar stable. Because I think it, we've all felt these these periods of time when we feel weak, we feel like we're craving sugar, we feel like we're craving something sweet. That's often a result of what our blood sugar is doing to us physiologically. Interesting. Yeah, no, that, that makes a ton of sense. And, um, you know, kind of diving here into the last question, B, it revolves around something that we've talked about at length mm-hmm. and, and previous, and it's hydration. Um, one that's interesting to me is I don't think that we've kind of covered it in the in the factor of it being an endurance event, right? So, um, you know, we've talked about some products that, you know, we would recommend. It's, it's kind of, you know, we talk about it in our community all the time. We talk about, you know, proper hydration and, um, you know, foundations. But in the sense of somebody who feels like, you know, they're sweating a ton, they're utilizing some some hydration products. They have a ton of water, but they still feel like, you know, something is, you know, they just feel like their hydration's off, especially if, if we're going after, you know, three, four or five, maybe going to six, seven, eight hours, you know, during an endurance event. Um, what would you recommend? You know, does this kind of tie back into nutrition and, and really goes back into testing? Is there something else or different when it comes to hydration and, and being properly hydrated for an endurance event? There definitely is. And, you know, any kind of, Usually symptoms that an athlete might mention when it comes down to understanding their, their their salt levels or their hydration levels is if they often feel like they have a headache or they feel like they're they're bonking or they feel like they're um what about cramping? become a little cramping goes into that yeah. so it could be a combination of low blood sugar as well hmm. right so it's a lot of it's going to be hydrational um, but it's this it's this delicate balance between our sodium and our fluid levels. And this is something, I don't know if you ever heard of um, hyponatremia, but it's often a, I don't know if it's a disease or more so a state, but what starts to happen is I think people realize that they need to increase water, but when they drink so much water and they don't consume enough sodium, your blood plasma concentrations start to become diluted. And that sodium the sodium levels within your blood are very, very important to be able to create, cause muscle contractions, to create optimal fluid level balance, to make sure your cells are adequately hydrated. But when somebody sweats a lot and somebody's often known as a salty sweater, they're going to lose more sodium than maybe somebody who doesn't sweat as much. Mm-hmm. And what needs to happen is you need to be able to replace that sodium back into your diet. And it's not only on the day of the event or day of the activity, it's the days leading up to the event. I had an athlete when I was at my previous job, uh, extremely, extremely salty sweater. Now, the way you know if you're a salty sweater is if you start to sweat and you can taste your sweat, it becomes salty. That's one way that you know you're a salty sweater. The other way is is after you've exercised and you've let your shirt dry, if you let your clothes dry, if you start to see white residue on your pad, hockey pads, right? Like you can see that all the time or your shirt. That's salt. That's all right. that all that white residue is is salt babe, that's that you've lost through your body. And so I had this athlete, he intense body cramps, like full body cramps. Um and I remember reaching out to one of my professors back at University of Connecticut. He basically told me he's like he's like you need to jack up his sodium levels going into events and into games. This athlete would only increase his sodium levels on the day of a game. And it was it, by that point, it was way too late. So it's about being prepared leading up to the event too to make sure that that athlete or any athlete make sure that their sodium levels are topped off and high enough. Because as soon as we start to that that delicate balance of water and salt starts to come off, like it's going to have a direct impact in not only how we feel, but decrease our, our performance, our endurance, 
our VO2 max, our strength, um, your ability to focus. There, there's so many things that start to happen when that that when that balance of sodium and fluid starts to starts to um, become disrupted. And one of the things that come to mind for me is this person specifically feels like they um, they feel like they're doing a lot, but they also feel like they're losing a ton of fluids and, and maybe concerned about. Is there a way that you could tell? I mean, obviously, lack of symptoms. You know that you mentioned earlier is probably a good tell, tell you know tell sign that you know somebody's properly hydrated. Um, is there anything else that comes to mind for you? Somebody says like mm, maybe my hydration is an issue. You know, are there things that you'd be looking out for or telling them like? Let's try this, and you should experience this if you're if you're properly hydrated. Yeah, usually the best one is to check your urine, right? Like the you can check your urine color to see if you, see if you're properly hydrated. Um, but that's not necessarily going to tell you if you what your sodium levels are. Um, so one way to do it is is you can do um, you can get a specific gravity pen or a urinometer where it basically it's a pen or like a little thermostat, and you dip it in your urine, and it can kind of tell you what your hydration levels are. And that's a, you know, they sell them on Amazon. Um, you can get different different types of pens like that. So you can try to see where somebody's hydration level is. Um, you can get blood work done if you want to, if you want to see specifically what your sodium levels are throughout the day. Um, again, it's not going to be specific to an event unless you, unless you take it around your training and around your practice. But then that can give you a good idea of how much salt and sodium you might lose. Um, other ways to measure hydration, the easiest way is me measure your body weight before and, ever, before and after activity and making sure that you can replace the amount of fluids. Um, but it's not, it's, like I said before, it's not just the fluid, it's also the salt. All right? We got to make sure we get that sodium chloride back into your system too and potassium as well as magnesium too. But sodium is the big one. And it's interesting because, you know, as, as we started to dive more into it and, and, you know, we've been recommended to, to take in some certain products, um, for proper hydration and also to replace things that are not just water-based, but, you know, salt-based, uh, magnesium, like there's other things that are being replaced. Right. And, and it's something that I've kind of, I've like mentally had this roadblock of taking in too much salt is not good for you. Right. And I think that that's a common a common concern that people have, or, or maybe even a common thing that their doctors are telling them, Hey, maybe we should reduce your salt intake. Um, but maybe in reality, it's, it's, you know, maybe we should be taking in more water or maybe we should, you know, like, yeah, I think that that's what people have trouble with is trying to find a good healthy balance of, you know, how much they should be taking in and how much is retained. Um, one last question. This is just for me before we hop off for today. You kind of mentioned it earlier, but your hydration levels, one of the biggest symptom that somebody could have is a headache, right? So, yes. you know, when my girlfriend has a headache all the time and I'm, I'm telling her to maybe she should drink some more water, that's, that would be a, that would be a good like starting point, right? Like that should be one of the first things that somebody should maybe uh, take a look at or, or look to change habits to see if they, they have change in their life when it comes to maybe having chronic headaches. Yeah. A dehydration is a symptom uh, or sorry, a headache is a symptom of being dehydrated along with sometimes it's dizziness. Sometimes it is, um, dry mouth, um, your skin, um, maybe not being as pliable. So like if you lift your, try to lift your skin off of, um, off your body and it, it has a delayed response time from going back into formation. Mm. Sometimes you can tell like your skin in your body isn't fully hydrated. Um, those are all symptoms. Yeah. Like it, it we know from, if we drink too much alcohol that we often get a headache and um, that's one of the symptoms of being hydrated. So it, that's an easy one. I often tell my athletes too, is, is if you're already, if you feel thirsty, you're already dehydrated. So we want to make sure that we constantly are replacing fluids 
um, throughout the day. Like carrying a water bottle around is a simple, easy fix to make sure that you're always doing it and making sure that there's a, there's a water bottle in plain sight so you can make sure that you're drinking enough water. There's so many different little tips. I think we might have them in the uh, the hydration playbook. Yeah, actually. absolutely. Yeah, and, um, we'll, we'll link that and and guide people there. Um, awesome episode, Coach B. I think this is gonna be really helpful. I mean, if anything, you know, not even just specific answers, but just the mentality and and how one should approach training. Uh, I think that this is invaluable for somebody that's that's looking to uh, to to partake in an endurance event or train for one. So, uh, appreciate your insights. Um, we'll make sure that this gets to the community member and, and hope everybody else enjoys. And we'll talk to everybody next week. Talk soon. Thanks, Drew.